everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Jason Lauritsen, who is an author of two books, Social Gravity and Unlocking High Performance. He is also an HR leader and frequent keynote speaker on work and employee engagement. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jason. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me. I want to start by talking about a post you did recently about dedicating your career to helping leaders build organizations that are good for both people and for profits. That's a lofty goal, and I'm sure some people believe that those two goals might be at odds with one another. So what do you say to those that don't believe that being good for people and profits at the same time is really possible? I'd say they're they're trapped in... I guess some inherited thinking or beliefs about how business has to work. Um, you, uh, you know, in my intro, you introduced me as an HR leader. I would say I always refer to myself as sort of a, a recovering HR leader, or HR executive, um, because I spent uh, nine years of my career in in HR executive leadership roles. And one of the things, I guess, I, you know, I probably would have been skeptical, much like the people you describe. Um, early on in my career, and especially coming into that, because you see so many things in the organization that make you believe that these two things are at odds, right? When, especially, you know, and we're going to see it right now, if, if, if the economy slows, usually the first place we start to cut is, or see cuts is in people programs and where we're investing in people. So it's, it doesn't make sense, but I can tell you in my very first uh, HR or organization, I guess, where I was an HR leader, we spent a number of years really doing an organizational kind of remaking uh, in a variety of different ways, but at the heart of it was how we kind of the experience we created for people, like how we thought about managed, managed, treated people at the, at the heart of that was some work with employee engagement surveys and some other um, programs and processes. And over the course of, of three and a half years, we very literally doubled the, revenue per employee at this organization. It was a call center, uh, actually a debt collection call center organization. So that's a whole nother conversation for another time. Interesting business. But we doubled the revenue per employee. We cut turnover uh, more than in half at the organization. And the profitability, we made the organization so profitable that it ended up getting acquired, unfortunately. And uh, we all sort of ended up in different places as a result. And so I think you know, I know that it's possible because I've seen it's possible and it's counterintuitive because it often requires a leap of faith. It requires in investing in people and investing in, um, and, and I think fundamentally you have to have a belief in the potential of people in order for that to work. When you believe that people um, are inherently built, designed, motivated, wired to perform, and if you if you if you really believe that, then then the work of leadership, the work of HR, is getting the obstacles out of the way, getting people what they need, and then they will they will lift the organization up, and they will create and uh, create performance at a level you really can't force. And so, your people are are always skeptical about that, but that's often because they they fundamentally don't they believe that people they have some beliefs that get in the way about like having to force people to perform or that you know, if we don't have some of these processes in place that people won't perform. And that's just, uh, I think that's at a very fundamental level wrong. It's bad thinking. 
Do you have a defining moment in your career that kind of got you to this level of thinking? Was it during your time as an HR leader? Was it once you left that? Do you look back at one moment that was really a fork in the road type of moment? Uh, I, I don't think it was necessarily a fork in the road as much as the, the moment that I often describe that I think sort of set me down this path that I'm on was I, I spent one of my first jobs. Right? Actually, my first couple of jobs were sales jobs that led me into a job as an executive recruiter. And I remember in my job as an executive recruiter, as I was talking to both the client side who were hiring me to find them people and then talking to the candidates who I was trying to recruit uh, to these jobs, what I would I'd hear so many stories of dysfunction, um, you know, terrible work experiences and terrible bosses and unthinkable kind of treatment that these people had experienced both the people on the candidate side and then when you you know when i was trying to sort out like why did the person before this person leave you know in this role you're asking me to fill the stories you'd hear if you really peeled it back there was a lot of dysfunction and rather than fix the dysfunction they were just going to slap another you know body into that role try to find a person to fill the hole and so i think that was kind of the early kind of the early moments of like wow this is really dysfunctional and i started wondering about or getting really fascinated about the relationship between people and their job and like why do we stay in these dysfunctional situations or what makes that work so i think that's kind of the initial spark and then it and then it sort of became a blaze i guess over time hmm. One one of the things that I found when we were talking about getting together for this show was you did a two-day virtual event very recently, and it was entitled Embracing New Realities and Preparing for the Future of Work. Um, that event is obviously fresh in your mind, and, and you had a decent amount of truly inspiring and, and interesting people and speakers. I want to ask, was there a central component of the event that really resonated with you regarding how do we excel by focusing on the future of work, either personally or as an organization? Well, that's probably, probably it's a, I, I'm a biased person to ask because I programmed most of the content for the, for the, the, the event. Um, but what I would say is that I think very clearly what we saw, and, and, and I mean, we designed, I mean, some of this is by design, some of this was also what people reacted to as we had the conversations or as people were talking was that I think we've been talking about, and I know I have been for quite a while, that we need more humanity in the workplace. We need, you know, the workplace needs to be sort of rethought from a human perspective. And I mean, we had conversations at the event about, you know, the importance of, of relationships and social capital we talked about resilience we talked about empathy and belonging um, we talked about you know um, Gary Ridge who's the the CEO of WD40 talked about just how important it is to just care for people to love your people you know things like that it's like very very relational humanistic kind of approaches and thinking to work and it just feels like there's an overwhelming um, there's some, and, and, and like I said, part of it is by design, right? I, this didn't happen by accident, but that was some messaging that we built in because we think it's really important that one of the things that's been revealed right now in this moment of time is 
you know, as the pandemic has unfolded and as all these other things are, are unfolding, that, that work is becoming, um, it's not just work anymore. It's not this thing we can think of kind of in sterile tactical terms. It's a very human experience for people and work plays a much bigger role than it used to in terms of, of we come to work looking for that connection and, and validation and belonging and that in, in at a way that we haven't in the past or not. It, I mean, it's getting amplified. And so I think that's the, that's the message or theme that, that emerged partly by design. And I think partly that got amplified is that the future of work is, is going to be human more than, more than even ever before. We have to really think about humans first and figure out how to make the work work best for humans if we want to really be able to get the best out of people. That's probably a really good lead into your, the first book um, that you published, which was Social Gravity, Harnessing the Natural Power of Relationships. Is there something in your work that you see that a decent number of people struggle with and with a change here or there, they can actually find a way to actually harness the natural power of relationships and use that to excel personally and professionally? A great question. I, I, there's a number of things that we do that that gets in our way. I think when it comes to relationships and the power of relationships, I, part of it. I'll give you two quick ones. One is, I think we have to be continually and intentionally open to new opportunities to connect. And so, you know, one of the things that we we wrote about in the book and we talk about quite a bit is just making yourself available, inviting people to connect with you, being open to having those conversations or connecting, you know, engaging in a conversation with people because you don't know, you just don't know where that relationship's going to end uh, or where it's going to lead, not end, I guess, where it's going to lead and what kind of uh, value will come out of it. So I think it's making sure we're available, whether that's be being out on social media and inviting people to connect or when people reach out saying yes and connecting with them and having a conversation. Um, but also, I think that the more fundamental thing is that people think that connecting or these relationships, having relationships, ha you have to be kind of a networker, serial networker or extrovert. And I think that's a big misconception. Certainly extroverts have an advantage in connecting with people because it's how they're wired. But even as an introvert, the key is get yourself involved in meaningful activity. Get Find things that matter uh, to you, whether that be you know, find some a group online that you can join that cares about the same things that you do. If you're uh, into you know, social advocacy, find a group and get involved. You'll meet people there that will just be like happy that you showed up and they'll put you to work and, and you'll meet people that have this common interest and suddenly you'll start to build relationships without even really being there to build relationships or at work, raise your hand for projects or for you know, other kinds of things. If, you know, if you get yourself in the middle of stuff that you care about, that you want to be a part of, that you want to do, those relationships, you'll, you'll amplify and build your relationships and networks through that interaction. And that's a really rich, easy way to build um, you know, relationships that start on a pretty strong foundation, foundation as opposed to a traditional kind of, you know, what can you do for me that you get at a, at a networking event. So those would be two tips for people that I would offer. It's really helpful. And one of the questions that we get from a lot of our, our listeners is, and, and you would fit this bill, you're kind of juggling a lot of stuff. You're doing, you're obviously an author, you're doing some speaking, you're hosting events, you're doing some consultative work. 
how do you organize your day or what sort of productivity things have you put in place, maybe even recently, that you've done as a result of having to keep a lot of things juggled and a lot of different balls up in the air? What, what helps you um, operate at kind of peak performance? Well, I so <laughs> I'm I'm probably the one of the one of the worst people to ask that question because I don't know that I have any like great bits of advice because my schedule is inconsistent at best. Um, I would say that probably the best advice I have is just being you know I I found a technology suite or platform that works for me and I use it to help keep me organized. So I'm a Google native, so I use all of the all of the tools to help kind of keep me organized. But what I would probably offer up is that it doesn't have to be perfect. I think, I think the biggest thing for me that I realized is uh, follow the energy and pay really close attention to your energy. So, you know, there are days when, you know, like for example, with exercise, what I've learned is I used to be one of those guys that went to the gym at 5.30 in the morning to exercise, um, get up, go to the gym early um, because I had to, because I had to go to the office and, and all of that. Whereas now as, as an entrepreneur, as someone who works from my home and has for years, what I've learned is that 5.30 in the morning is some of my most productive, creative time mentally. And so I need to be working. So when I get up, I get up, get my cup of coffee and get started on some work because that's really good productive time. And then I will usually run out of steam. I'll get like, I'll hit kind of a, a, a wall at some point where my energy dips you know, mid morning, late morning, early afternoon, I don't know for sure when it's coming. That's when I go do my exercise. Um, I go, you know, go plug in my earbuds, put on a podcast and go run four miles. And I come back. And when I come back, my battery has been recharged. And now I can get another chunk of time, another chunk of, of work put together. So I am not super like disciplined, sadly, I probably should be, but I'm not super disciplined about my, my productivity. I don't over engineer my schedule. Um, I just, I pay really close attention to my energy and try to manage like when I feel my energy is, is, is low, or if I'm getting really distracted, I just unplug and go for a run or practice, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to play harmonica right now, you know, practice harmonica for 20 minutes. And that sort of gives me a reset and then I get back in it. You, you almost stole my next question, which my next question was going to be kind of focused on curiosity. We hear that from a lot of our guests and we hear that from a lot of our listeners. What are you the most curious about right now? And, and so you can't say the harmonica. What about in the future of work or in the space that you operate in from a professional um, context? So you can't give the, uh, the personal musical pursuit from a curiosity perspective. Sure. Uh, well, and th this is a pretty... This is a pretty geeky answer for me because of the nature of the work that I do, but I'm, I'm really, really fascinated to see well, how our relationship or how our um, the, the relationship between work and place plays out over the next several years. Because with everyone now realizing that working from home is something that is different than they thought and they know kind of have a sense of what their competencies and capabilities are and what that feels like and looks like those that are able to work from home, I should say. Um, do they, you know, in, in organizations realizing the benefits of that, right now it's very early and I think we have a lot of false positives about what this, you know, the, the, the strengths, the weaknesses, uh, I had a guy at the event yesterday or last week uh, that talked about that he has a ton of data and has studied all of these different kind of workplace 
settings in terms of having like everybody together or everybody remote or some blend of it. And he said straight out that the data says that what Facebook and Twitter is doing, which is saying, if you want to work from home, work from home. If you want to come in, come in is the worst approach because it's going to create all sorts of secondary issues around in-group and out-group and barriers to communication and all sorts of things, which sort of breaks my heart because I think everybody wants the you know, maximum flexibility in place. But right now we're just reacting as opposed to being really thoughtful and intentional about what we're doing and how we're thinking about it. And so I'm fascinated to see how that plays out and what that looks like in three to five years time. Hmm. Well, your, your most recent book was focused on unlocking high performance. And the part that resonated probably the most with me was you talking about the established method of annually kind of scoring employees against a list of these static objectives and how in some ways that that's not really the right approach. So how should we act to maybe address the issue with typical performance reviews and what should we look to I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it, put in its place. Sure. The well, I think it's the 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 worst part of what we've done around performance and managing performance in the workplace is that we've turned it into a um, sort of a an interaction or a process that happens. It's it's a once a year event. Or you know, in progressive organizations, they're proud that they've gone to a four times a year event where we take this really terrible experience and now we do it four times a year, just not quite as not quite as big. And instead of that, where we reduce human performance, you know, months, months and hours on hours on hours of, of effort and energy and creativity and all of these things to reduce it to a number and a few words on a piece of paper. What it needs to be is we need to realize that that's not, this is about, this is an ongoing process and conversation. Uh, that people perform in every moment of every day. And so what it needs to, it, it's sort of like thinking about how a coach thinks about coaching their, you know, uh, a game. Like, sure, there are times when they probably sit down with players and do a formal kind of check-in or evaluation on progress. Like last time we sat down was a couple months ago. Let's talk about how much progress we've made. But they're coaching and providing feedback and encouragement and instruction all the time throughout. And so that, you know, at, at its basis, there's some basic things that we need to get really clear about. It's, you know, being clear about what expectations are and why we're there. Um, what, what are we here to do and how are we going to measure that? And what that, what's that going to look like? And how are we going to go about doing it? Getting really clear on that. And then I think realizing that as, you know, that if we assume back to how I opened, if we assume that if we change our thinking to, recognize that people are inherently wired to perform like every human being. I believe that, you know, when you peel back everything, you'll see and observe a child and you know, we're built to perform and learn just naturally. You don't have to force that. So when it's not happening, it means there's obstacles. And so when we realize if we get clear on what needs to be accomplished and if someone's not performing, then that means they're missing something. There's something we're not getting to them. It's something that we're not providing them with. Or, you know, and that as a manager, as an organization, is what the work needs to be about. So instead of thinking about how do we you know, measure and punish those that aren't meeting objectives, let's get really clear on what's expected and make sure people are crystal clear on that. And then let's make sure our work is about 
getting them what they need and getting obstacles out of their way so they can go do their best work. That's what it should look like as we move forward. Hmm. Well, that is a great spot to end the conversation and shift to our final two um, rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests. And question number one is this, um, Jason, if you could provide a description of your leadership style and do it in one word, what would that word be? Uh, I'm going to go with love. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? You know, the one that always comes to mind, and I've gotten a lot of great advice over the years, goes clear back to when I was in high school. I was a, uh, I was a trumpet player in high school, and I went to jazz camps in the summer. I was like band camp kid. And at one of the jazz camps, it was an old, uh, an old jazz trumpet player, and I got to talking with him one day, and he said, you know what, let me give you a piece of advice. He said, uh, never say what you ain't going to do. Because he said, as soon as you do that, you're destined to do it. And it, it like, it stuck, it stuck with me that it's kind of, it was sort of this really interesting message about like, be very, very careful about what you declare about who you are or who you aren't, because both of those things, you, know, you need to remain open and keep your mind open and be open to possibilities. And so I, I always love that. And that's always stuck with me. Never say what you ain't going to do. Well, that is a great spot to close us out. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jason. Where can our listeners find out more about you? You can stop the best place is my website, jasonlauritson.com, uh, or punch my name into the Googles, and you'll find a whole bunch of places to find me on social media and elsewhere. But jasonlauritson.com is the, is the most reliable place to learn about me and my work. Perfect. Well, thanks for all the great insight. And thank you to all our great listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our organization Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com. You can find this podcast on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast and be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead Podcast. Mm -hmm.